And I remember there were nights where it would be having the martinis by myself with a cigarette, more than one cigarette. I was a closet smoker. No one really knew. And then gorging on food and throwing up. And I would wake up. I would just go to bed that night and think I am a hot mess. I'm, what is going on? I'm over drinking, over smoking, overeating. And then I, you know, yeah. So I totally get that. It's yeah. And that's why taking one simple change in your life can have this ripple effect. Welcome to the Zen-ish Mommy Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Gershman. And while I may never reach enlightenment, you will find me here cussing and laughing along the way. This podcast is a place for all women to connect, educate themselves, and slow down because you deserve a moment to pause and press play. I'm Jessica, your host, and this is the Zen Mommy Podcast, the show where you can finally take that deep breath slow down and simply listen because you deserve it. I began to question my relationship with alcohol a few years ago. Binge drinking on the weekends certainly began to lose its luster. And I don't know if it's age or hormones, but I just couldn't drink anymore in my forties like I could in my twenties. And the more that the demands of my work week picked up, I needed my weekends to recharge and recalibrate. I had no idea that I was teetering on the edge of sober curiosity. I mean, have you even heard the term sober curious? I knew that alcohol no longer worked with my body chemistry the way it did in my 20s. Feeling bad after a night of even a few drinks just wasn't worth the price I paid for the following day and even two days later. Do you often wonder what life would be like without alcohol? Do you hate this kind of all or nothing mentality like you either have to be a drinker, or sober, and there's all of this gray area in between. Being sober curious means literally to choose to question or to get curious about every impulse, invitation, and expectation to drink versus mindlessly going along with the dominant drinking culture. Often, sober curious individuals think more consciously about the decision to drink alcohol. What makes sober curiosity so widespread is its adaptable meaning. Sober curious tends to mean something different to every sober curious individual, making it an inclusive cultural movement. It's living in the gray area, which I so appreciate. My sober curiosity means drastically reducing my alcohol consumption and then really being intentional about when and if I choose to drink. Today, I want to welcome Meg Daly, certified coach, former teacher, and founder of the Live More, Drink Less community, and the creator of both the 30-Day Reset and Tranquility Talk podcast. She supports sensitive and empathic individuals inspired to reduce or release alcohol so they can begin sleeping deeper, feeling lighter, and living better. She is the author of the soon-to-be-published Wake Up and Glow, a 30-day workbook to start living more and drinking less. Let's welcome Meg. Hey, Zen Mommy listeners. I want to welcome Meg Daly to the show. Hello. (laughs) Yeah. Introduce yourself and give us a little background on your kind of historical relationship with alcohol, because we're here to talk about sober curiosity. Perfect. So if you would have said to me two years ago, I would be on the Zen Mommy podcast talking about being sober curious, I would have been like, what? Because I was the happy hour queen. I was the party organizer, the party girl. 
which is interesting because back in high school, I did not drink. I didn't, I was a good girl. I drove like all my girlfriends around in the suburban to the parties and they got called into the principal's office, but I never drank. And then something happened when I went off to, I went to UW-Madison for college and I'll never forget the moment that anxiety took over and I didn't know what was happening. And I started to develop kind of OCD tendencies. And I remember I joined a sorority and we walked on pledge night. I'm in my little plaid skirt with my little Peter Pan blouse. And I'm feeling like this will be nice, you know, and my roommate, we get to the door and they handed us each our own bottle of champagne. And I said, Julie, we can't drink. We're not legal. And she just laughed. Within 45 minutes, I was onto my second bottle of champagne. I was dancing on the tables. She found me in the bushes getting sick. And it was my first hangover. And yet what I found was this sense of freedom from anxiety you know, no inhibition. I was very shy in high school. And that just started this pattern of drinking. Then when I went into the working world, I remember watching friends and Rachel coming home and popping the wine bottle. I still remember the scene and going, oh, I should really get into wine. You know, I had her haircut, you know, so so why not the wine? And that started my wine habit. And then it was literally every night. It turned into, you know, I called it my date with Mr. P, Pinot Noir and David Muir on the nightly news. And like I said, two years ago, I was like, I can't remember a night that I have not had at least one glass of wine. I was not. And I went to two therapists to confirm I'm not an alcoholic, but I am what I now understand is a gray area drinker. What is the definition of an alcoholic versus a gray area drinker? Well, I mean, my perception, and again, I'm not a drug and alcohol counselor, but my perception is, and I know people who deal with the addiction is, you know, that is a true addiction that is, you know, it can ruin your life basically. And, and physical addiction. I mean, you're physically addicted. To physical, yeah, yeah. Physical addiction. For me, and I talked to my therapist about this, she said, you know, Meg, are you aware there's studies that have been done on people with true anxiety that the third day after a drink, not the next day, the third day after a drink is when your anxiety is peaked. And I sat there thinking, well, even if I'm having a glass of wine or two every night, I'm on a perpetual anxiety high. So the difference between me and an alcoholic in very basic terms is I was abusing alcohol to alleviate anxiety and any kind of emotional suffering. That's so interesting. So my relationship with alcohol was a little bit, I guess, dissimilar. So I I drank a lot in high school, kind of got it out of my system. By the time I made it to college, I got really into fitness. And with all of the dabbling of drugs and alcohol, fitness was the thing that saved me because it gave me the definition and a clear line between feeling really good, well-rested, exercise, eating well, getting the right nutrition and feeling terrible. And I feel like when you know the difference of feeling really well rested and hydrated and and nourished versus hungover, no sleep, intermittent sleep, you know, all of the things, anxiety and everything that comes, you know, post drinking, it was such a night and day difference. And then when I got into the working world, I mean, I'm right there with you. It was like, all of a sudden I was like, oh, well, I can just have a, a little wine every night. You know, it wasn't like binge drinking on the weekends, like it was in high school or whatever the case may be. And then, you know, I also come from a family of foodies and my dad's a sommelier. So we were, I was encouraged to drink wine at, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old and as part of the process of the meal and business meetings and things like that. And then it went into every night I would have wine. It was just the habit that you got into. And for me, 
it was probably the last few years. I'm 40. And so as I was kind of getting toward my 40s, man, I just, it wasn't worth it. You know, I started to feel that difference and waking up even after a glass or two of wine, I'm like, man, it's making my life really, really hard. And for me sitting in meditation, it was like, my body was telling me things I already knew I needed to act on it. And I was resisting it because there's all of this stigma around not drinking. And in my mind, I was like, well, my friends still like me. What does that look like? And there's such a culture that encourages drinking. And you talked about happy hour and even professionally, everything is around a cocktail hour. So much so that when you order a water, be it a sparkling water, someone generally has a comment about it. But I found for me, uh, maybe I'll have a glass of wine in the weekend. It's intentional. You know, I'll go into it with my intention. So, you know, not really drinking during the week. It's Friday night. We're Jewish. I have Shabbat. I may have a glass of wine there, but it's intentional. And I know if I'm going to pay the price, it's an intentional price. I guess that's kind of where I am right now. That's so true. I love everything you're saying because I say in my community, my live more, drink less community, think before you drink. It's like intentional drinking you know, we have intentional living, you know, are you trying to escape something? And when I I was in the corporate world for years as well, you know, traveling and trade shows and all of that. And it was just a part of the entertaining. And looking back, I realized that I'm actually an introvert who put on an extrovert costume and I needed that. And when I stopped drinking for an extended period of time, and we'll talk a little bit more about that if you want, because people are always curious, you know, do you still have a glass of wine? But when I stopped doing that, when I took that extended break, I realized, oh my gosh, I have social anxiety and I, I needed that wine to feel competent. It's interesting. I heard this and it could be a wives tale, but I did hear this. It was probably at one of those colleges classes that they made you go to if you got in trouble for drinking. Cause I happened to be with a bunch of other fitness instructors. I wasn't drinking in the car, but they all were on a way to yeah. like a fitness event. We all got in trouble and had to take this, you know, alcohol class in college. But I heard that if you learn a skill while inebriated, while on drinking alcohol, that that is the only place that you can really access that skill neurologically. So that if people felt comfortable learning to socialize and it was with, they were, when they were with alcohol, they couldn't access that skill outside of being drunk or buzzed or whatever the case may be. Same thing with dancing, you know, people drink and all of a sudden, man, they've got the best rhythm in the club. But without that, you know, friend, that little helper of alcohol, they can't access those dancing skills. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just what I heard. That actually makes sense. I was talking with a therapist a couple of weeks ago where I gave a talk. It was kind of funny. I'm I'm giving this talk on, you know, releasing or reducing alcohol. And she starts piping up about the brain. And so I'm like, listen, come on, let's co-host this together. Because she was saying that with the brain. And I do believe this, that it takes 90 days. It's like those paths that we talk about, you know, all this with your, with the meditation work that you do and the yoga and classes that you do, but it takes 90 days. She said for those well-worn patterns in the brain to understand that you don't need the alcohol to have fun. That was a total foreign concept to me. I just couldn't wrap my head around that. I just jumped off the cliff and thought, God help me, (laughs) you know. So how do you define sober curiosity and kind of what is your relationship with alcohol currently? Well, okay. So sober curiosity for me 
is you're curious about what would life be like without alcohol. I think a lot of gray area drinkers and, you know, and gray area drinking is again, it's you're leaning on alcohol to alleviate any kind of emotional suffering or just anything you want to escape the pain. So for me, sober curiosity has been the past 10 years, you know, I dabbled in resets, but it never quite stuck. And I read the books and I think it was just one day I got a phone call from a girlfriend. I was hungover. It was a Sunday morning. I'm laying in bed with my dog. And she's like, I have been called at a deep soul level to take a break from alcohol for 90 days. Will you join me? And I get chills talking about this because it was literally like someone else pushed me up in bed and I sat up and I said, yes, I proceeded to walk to the calendar and check off the dates. And I had, you know, yes, remorse because I thought, how am I even going to get through this evening? You know, so to me, that's sober curious. You're like, what would life be like without alcohol? And am I willing to step into courage to grab on to the freedom that I claim to desire? Am I willing to step into an adventure, an experiment to see if all those goals, I call them drunk goals that we talk about during happy hour, and I'm going to do this and that, that you don't have the time and energy for the next day. You know, I'm going to step into this experiment and see if those goals really happen. My life today, it's been an interesting two years. So for close to 120 days, I didn't drink. And then I thought, well, I can have a glass of wine here and there. And that is what I have done probably for the past year and a half. However, and this is important. And I always say in my community, it's like a judgment-free zone and you are the guru of you. I'm very leery of people saying, you've got to do it this way. And this is the only way to do it. You know yourself. And what I wanted to get to was a point where I could actually say I can moderate because I don't say I'm never going to drink again because that's too overwhelming. I just say for now, it feels good not drinking. But anyway, so I decided that, well, I might have a glass of wine when I'm out for dinner and join a nice meal with my family. And that is what I have done. Now, I will say, it's funny, like, I don't think alcohol is bad or drinking is wrong or anything like that. It's just the more I do that, which is probably once or twice a month, I'll have a glass or two of wine like I had last week when I went out for dinner with my parents. I wake up the next morning, not hung over, but there's like a little, there's like little bits of my joy stolen. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, I went out with my girlfriends last night and chose to have very intentionally two yeah. glasses of wine. And already at the end of the evening, I regretted it. I mean, I did and I didn't, you know, I was like, okay, that was intentional. I was there, but I woke up today and I'm like, just not a hundred percent, maybe right. 92, maybe 87. Yeah. It's just not all the way where I knew that I would wake up out of bed, you know, sober from the night before and with a fervor of like, yes, let's go after and attack the day. And now I'm just like, mm, what can I cancel today. <laughs> right, right, right. And so like, nothing's wrong with that. And that's what I, because people in my community are like, oh, did you beat yourself up? Or, and I'm like, heck no. Like I'm over that. I look at it as this is so cool. This is really, really cool because I have information now. I am gathering information that is evidence. That's evidence of maybe I want to lean away from this. I was reading an article on NPR. This was about a year ago. And it was about this idea of how moderation organically and naturally leads to abstinence. So they did a study, I think it was of women, and they would do like a 30-day reset, like my 30-day reset. And then, then they're like, cool, I feel good. I'm going to moderate. Then they're like, oh, I'm going to go back and do a reset. And the more they did that back and forth, they're like, whoa, 
I guess I don't need the alcohol. And so that's kind of where I'm leaning toward. Like if you talk to me in like another couple of months, I'll probably be like, yeah, I just don't, I don't even do that anymore. But who knows? I'm all about living in the gray, right? I feel like we as women, especially are like pass fail, black or white. It has to be all or nothing. If we're not 60 minutes in the gym, busting our ass, then we don't go at all. If we're not only eating vegan and, you know, vegetables, then we just hit McDonald's drive here on the way home. Right. But there's so much beauty in the gray. And when it comes to alcohol, I love that because we don't like very tight restrictions, constraints saying, okay, you're good. If you don't drink, you're bad. If you do that sets us up for failure. And so I love the opportunity of really bringing the mindfulness aspect into it. Now you have information. I have information today. I woke up today. I was like, yes, it's Tuesday and I'm not drinking. I am so excited. I know Wednesday, I'm going to feel a lot better than I do today. (laughs) And it's information that I get to gather and I get to be really mindful. Yes, I had fun last night. Yes, I really enjoyed connecting with my girlfriends. It's been way too long. And yes, I'm happy that it's Tuesday and I just have a quiet night at home with my family because I am also too a closeted introvert. (laughs) Yes, And you know what? The women, and there are a few men, men are welcome in my community that they lean towards empaths, highly sensitive people, little, you know, I call about little HSPs, you know, introvert. And the thing is, I'm with you on that with the gray area. I, in college, and then off and on in my adult life, suffered with bulimia. And it flared up whenever I I went on a diet. Because, you know, and my sister will laugh. She's like, Meg, you never want anyone to tell you what to do. And I'm like, well, you don't either. Like that runs in our family. And so I think at a subconscious level, when I go on a diet, it's like I revolt. And I think the same can be said for drinking. It's like, no one's going to tell me what to do. And that's why I love the idea of you're the guru of you. Go ahead, you know, have the drink and then just evaluate it. Make your own decisions the next day. We're all about gathering intel, right? That's what the mindfulness piece comes in is we get to gather information, get to observe it, right? Without judgment, observe without judgment. And then the other piece, the awareness leads to choice. Now you can choose. Maybe you want to do the same thing again. Okay. You know what the outcomes are going to be. Maybe you want to choose a different path. And that's where that awareness comes through. And I think that is a game changer for all of us because we do live very mindlessly. I mean, i Two would just be five. It was five o'clock wine time every night. I mean, that was just, it was a habit. I didn't even think about it. Coravined my glass or two or one, made some justification in my mind because that's what we do to feel better about ourselves and just mindlessly drank my glass of wine. And then I noticed, begin to notice, I'm like, God, I'm not really the best mom I could be. I don't really want to read my book to my child tonight because I'm tired. I really just want to do my own thing. And I start to become aware of how alcohol impacts my decisions, my personalities, my interests, my energy level. Now, when you started this process, you took 120 days off drinking altogether. What did you notice? What was most significant? My patience. I was very intolerant to the little things of life. I remember my therapist saying, you're very intolerant to the messiness of life. I would be snappy. My niece, who was going through nursing school, was living with me. And there are a couple of moments that make me cry about how I would snap at her. And it's because I was hungover. So the ability to be present with someone, with my dogs, with my family, that is the best thing. And oh, but even more so present with myself, like knowing like I can go to this space. I never understood it. 
beautiful experts in that whole mindfulness, like yourself would talk it. And I would understand it logically, but I didn't experience it. And, you know, having that safe place, that home. And that was the best thing that came from that. You noticed changes in your physical appearance. I have a before and after on my website and it is shocking. So, you know, my eyes are whiter. I don't get the dark circles. Um, My skin is cleared up. I released weight, like without doing anything else in a few months, a significant amount, which doesn't happen for everyone. So I hesitate saying that it was just, I think the drinking was leading to munchies late at night for me, the sleep, actually the sleep was better than the physical transformation. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting that you talk about, I also too, was very open of struggling with eating disorders in my late teens and early twenties. And I was a bulimic and it's interesting. And my best friend's a therapist that specializes in eating disorder. And we talk about how an eating disorder is like the radio in the car. It's always on, but you never know how loud it's going to be when you get in. Sometimes it's just a whisper. Sometimes it's blaring ACDC and you can't hardly hear anything else. And I have found as well, and I don't know if you shared this at you know, with alcohol, it increases or releases your inhibitions, lowers your inhibitions. It also increased, like I would, I did, I would just eat, I'd eat vanilla wafers, I'd eat whatever it was. And I would feel bad. And then all of a sudden that bulimic chatter, that eating disorder chatter would get really loud. And I finally made the connection. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. It's the wine. Because when I don't drink wine, I'm not going for those quick hits of sugar, eating that point, you know, kind of mindlessly eating. It was that same process. And I don't have that eating disorder chatter that would kick up. Did you find that similar? Yeah. As you're talking, something just came to mind. And I've never really talked about this. And this term came to mind. It was like the trifecta of habits. And I remember there were nights where it would be having the martinis by myself with a cigarette, more than one cigarette. I was a closet smoker. No one really knew. And then gorging on food and throwing up. And I would wake up. I would just go to bed that night and think I am a hot mess. And what is going on? I'm over drinking, over smoking, overeating. And then I, you know, yeah. So I totally get that. It's yeah. And that's why taking one simple change in your life can have this ripple effect. And again, it starts with that awareness piece that we start to make these connections. And it was about a two-year process for me where I knew I had to change my relationship with alcohol. I was hesitant, but I was like, my body's telling me, my intuition is telling me everything about the universe and the energy. And I know that I want all of these things, you know, professionally and personally and I'm not going to get those if I'm fuzzy. I love that. Yeah. None of us are. And going back to your, I just want to quick say one thing I forgot to mention with the sober curious, for me, it was those little tiny whispers of intuition. I think when you are sober curious, it is something within you that's saying, Hey, maybe it's time. Check it out. Try an experiment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, that's my next question. When do you think someone's ready to kind of explore sober curiosity? I think you're ready to take a break. And when the feelings that you want to feel, you begin to realize that maybe you can feel those feelings without alcohol. So for me, I always wanted to feel elegant. I wanted to feel the sense of self-possession and alcohol gave that to me, but it was like two hours out of 24 that I felt that way and it stole the rest. And so I was ready when I thought, 
you know what? I am going to step into elegance. I'm going to step into the energy of self-possession and I'm going to see if I'm able to activate those feelings by doing other things. And so, you know, you're ready when you want to create a life that you're not trying to escape. And it's interesting. I've said this to my husband and I've been open and he's battled with his relationship with drugs and alcohol over the years. And when you numb out, you don't get to choose what you numb out to. It's all or nothing. So when you numb out of work is too intense, or you having this family issue, or you're unhappy in your relationship, you don't get to just choose that one thing that's causing you stress in your life. You numb out to all of it, your kids, your joy, your passion. And I think that's the problem when we start to get in this all or nothing mentality, right? And it's like numbing out. It's like, oh, but I'm, I just had a stressful day at work. But then it affects, it filters over everything. It puts that glaze over the rest of the evening into the next day. What do you feel like? And you kind of start that shame cycle all over again. So were you afraid about what your friends would think and how you were going to be impacted in your social circles? Not really, because... My party girlfriends are awesome. I'm lucky because I've talked to so many people where they did lose friendships. I have not. I'm not as social at all anymore. I joke that I'm happily boring and that's okay. I make banana bread at 930 at night sometimes and that's okay. But I go to sound healings now on Thursday nights instead of happy hour. But my friends have been very supportive. I'm very blessed. And they will say things like, let's go for brunch. So I do things like brunch. I had a party at my house recently and it was brunch and I had mimosas for them. And I had, you know, Topo Chico mineral water and fresh orange juice. And frankly, I'm like, this is so much better. And, you know, some of them were like, oh, I'm going to go take a nap. And I'm like, really? Because I got the rest of the day now. I love it. It's just making minor tweaks. I think, you know, when you start to question... And you, you have all of these reasons not to do it. What will my friends think? How am I going to be in these situations? Or right. imagine what you did, looked at the calendar, like, oh gosh, I have a wedding. I have this event. How am I going to make it through? As a matter of fact, I have a wedding this weekend and I already have anxiety. I'm like, okay, yeah. well, I know I'm not going to drink at the rehearsal dinner. How am I going to make it through Saturday? Because I don't want to feel terrible on Sunday. And this is the, what I want for my weekend. And you said something, a quote that I love that really impacted me. You said, plan your Friday on how you want to feel Saturday. Can you elaborate on that and kind of how you came up with that? I think it's so, it just really made a difference. Okay. All authenticity. I came up with it because I saw it on social media, sober sis. Thank you, sober sis. She's awesome. It was her quote (laughs) and, you know, but I've seen other people use it as well. The reason that's so important is because the favorite member tool in my 30-day reset is what I call the flash forward trick. So you're at Friday night, okay? And you're like, okay, how can I plan tonight to activate the feelings I want to feel tomorrow? And what you do, can we use you as an example? Of course, yeah. So for your wedding, and is it on Saturday? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So Friday night, maybe do a little journaling or even Saturday morning or go out on a walk and do this embodiment, right? Where you actually time travel and you look at your life over the next 24 hours. So if I make the decision to drink tonight, this is what's going to happen at 10 a.m., 2 a.m. Am I going to wake up kind of like that sweaty feeling? It's you know? the wine wake up to 10 a.m. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like- 
to one <laughs> wake up. Yeah. Where you need to pop. Mine was the two Tylenol guzzle water, go back to bed. You know, I always joke that four hours of non-alcohol infused sleep is better than 10 of alcohol infused sleep. You could be laying in bed for all 10 of those hours, but are you really sleeping? Not really. <laughs> no, no, exactly. And so then you flash forward to the next morning. How are you going to feel when those eyes slowly open up? How are you going to feel stepping out of bed? What are you going to eat? How are you going to interact with your family and your friends? So you go through this embodiment of, you know, this time travel. Then you think, okay, what if I, what if I don't drink? Okay, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to have some really amazing mocktails because these days bartenders can make that. I'm going to come equipped with some recipes in case he, you know he or she doesn't have them. I am going to make a point of having a backup plan, like whether if you were going with girlfriends, let's say, you know, take your own car or know that there's Uber. I am going to make a point of having more one-on-one conversations with people I haven't seen in a while. And you know what? I bet I'm going to go to this wedding and they're going to be people that aren't drinking. It's amazing how many people will hold a glass of wine and you think everyone drinks. I always thought everyone drank and they don't. So I'm going to have present conversations and I'm going to plan something that evening for after the wedding. If I'm staying at a hotel, maybe I'll order some like delicious dessert and watch a movie or read a book. Or if I'm at home, maybe I'll go home and I'll take a beautiful bath and listen to a podcast. And I'm going to have those fresh sheets and iron my pillowcases with lavender infused water. That's what I like to do. And I'm going to snuggle into bed and I'm going to feel so amazing. In fact, I could stay up till 2 a.m. and watch and binge watch Netflix. Who cares? I'll sleep so great. Next morning, so on and so on. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to feel great. Oh, I want to go to that farmer's market tomorrow. So you have to think about, do I want to sacrifice those three hours at the wedding? If you can just get through the three hours, I never thought about that of really kind of planning out the weekend and being, again, it comes back to that intention because it's helpful. I, as we use myself as an example, I'm like, okay, I can get through Friday. Friday is like a rehearsal and whatever. And I don't have to drink. And then Saturday, no, I'll feel good. And I, the anxiety was building. I'm like, oh man, but Saturday night and then Sunday, I'm not going to feel great. And then Monday's going to come around. So I'm, I'm already flash forward anxiety you now, three days ahead, but being also taking that in the converse of planning what it's like if I don't right? And giving yourself ways of like, okay, here's a mocktail recipe I can give the bartender. These are the things I can be really intentional about at this event or at this wedding and having these conversations and also planning for that future. And then Sunday morning, I get to snuggle with my kids and make them hollow French toast and have those times and feel really great. And so when Monday comes around, I'm ready to attack it because next week is really intense. Yeah. And then guess what you can do that night after the wedding? This is one of my other favorite. I think it's like day five of the 30 day reset. Because I didn't drink today, I fill in the blank. Because I didn't drink today, I had an amazing time at the wedding and I had fabulous, mindful, present conversations with people. Because I didn't drink today, I'm going to hit the hay tonight and feel amazing. And it's interesting. I just quick want to go back to, because it is true. People are afraid of what people are going to think of them. Like, I always thought, like, are people going to think I'm boring? Am I going to be boring? The thing is, it's an experiment. Like, your wedding, you could just use as an experiment. It's like this little micro, like a Petri dish experiment. Like, let's see what happens. Because I did that. It was two years ago. I was invited to an outdoor party. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to use this as an experiment. And it was with a group of women. And I showed up with my seed lip, which is a British non-alcohol distills. It's fabulous. And I showed up with that. 
And I brought my little cooler and we were all sitting outside and it was like moths to a flame. Like they were all drinking Chardonnay, whatever. That's like every day. Like it's kind of hip and cool and chic to come with some really fancy cocktails. And they all leaned in. They're like, what are you drinking? They all wanted to try it. When people question you, I always say to people, you don't have to feel defensive because the reason they're questioning you is because they're seeing something in what you're doing. You're holding up a mirror that they're curious. They're sober curious. When they're interested. I mean, I feel like what I found the same is because I'm an introvert. I was like, oh, are my friends going to think I'm boring? Is it going to be terrible? But you really get to become this very aware observer and notice. And then you see how alcohol affects other people and they're louder and more obnoxious. And you may or may not like certain qualities. You're like, oh, wait, that's me. That's me when I drink too much, you know, and you become aware of these not so great, you know, personality traits when you're drinking. I got in arguments. Yeah. Arguments. Oh my God. And another thing too, think about Blake Lively. What helped me is I Googled sober celebrities. Blake Lively, you know, goes to the Oscars and doesn't drink, you know, the list, I can't off the top of my head, think of a bunch of other celebrities, but if you Google them, that's an inspiration as well. And you hear them say quotes of like, I can't, Samuel Jackson said that there's no way I would have the career that I have if I wouldn't have stopped drinking. So if someone's interested in contemplating, you have a whole series, you have a 30 day reset and a workbook. What does that look like? Walk through the listeners. Okay. Yeah. It's called the 30 day reset and it is a 30 day program. There's a whole online membership program. Each day you listen to an audio, you get a homework prompt. There's a journal. We have weekly workshops online and the audios are actually me. Okay. So a big reason why I got through this, and this is what I wanted to tell your listeners is I got support by girlfriend who called me. And then the next day, a friend of mine called me out of the blue and said, I want to take a break from alcohol. I said, what if I create a program for you? She's like, I'm on that. That's so great. So every morning in my nightgown, I would walk in like half awake to my walk-in closet because of the acoustics. And I'd sit on the floor with my iPhone and I would just start talking about like, okay, this is what's happening now. And I would create homework out of that. And so that's why it's, I love this program because it's in real time. So, and members always say, we, I love it. It's like, you're talking to exactly what I'm going through. I'm like, it's because I was doing it along with you. I love it. So after the 30 day reset, what is the kind of approved process? What do you suggest for anyone interested? You mean after they do? Yeah, the you do 30 days and then you, know, you talk about, you know, do you go back to drinking? Is there kind of a protocol? Do you give suggestions or do you let everyone kind of be the facilitator of their own program? Yeah, well, I offer ongoing support. So when people opt in to the 30-day reset, it's not like, okay, you have access to the online library for 30 days. It's lifetime access. So a lot of people will just do it over. Or they'll go back to certain days that they liked and you have access to the weekly workshops forever. And so the workshops, I mean, there's over 40 or 50 in the archive library at this moment. So that's something as well. But again, we just, we do these live workshops every week. I've got a, you know, a private Facebook group that's real active. So there's a lot of support. And How I, important I, do you think community and support is to this process? I think it's so important because I wouldn't have gotten through it if these two girlfriends, we hadn't been holding each other's hand, checking in with each other, because it's so easy to just say the heck with it and fall back into, it's like a workout buddy. My niece, I go to burn boot camp in Whitefish Bay here in Milwaukee. 
I can't tell you the mornings. I'm like, I don't want to go. And she's texting me. I'm going to see you there. Right. You know, it's that accountability. I love it. But it's not, you know, I think it's interesting because it's not, you're not dealing with alcohol and honest. So it's not AA because they always have a sponsor, but you get to be around other people that are supportive and like-minded and that is success. So maybe you're not getting it in your everyday friend circles or social circles or professional circles. You have a community to ask questions of, to share kind of real-time feelings that someone else really understands. Because if you're going through it and you've got the chatter that may kick up as you're starting to give up alcohol, if someone's not supportive, they're not going to really get it. So I think it's really impactful to have a community to lean on. Yeah, it is. I mean, oftentimes, and I'll say to the community on the Facebook group, well, you guys, I love it when you guys post because you're inspiring me. So the more that you can share, and the thing is, you know, when you take something away, you've got to put something back in. And so when I've taken alcohol away, I go crazy and I order all the fun Katy Perry's mocktails and my fridge is full of that. And I make it a beautiful ritual and that's a huge thing. Pour it in the beautiful glass, you know, have the appetizers. And, and that's what we share in the community. And it just keeps me going too. Do you have a favorite mocktail recipe? Oh yeah. Okay. I just came up with one. I have a mocktail challenge on the homepage of my website, megkdaily.com. And you don't have to do the challenge. You can just download the five mocktails. And so my rosebud was my favorite, which is just, it's real simple, rose juice, lemon juice, and seltzer water. But my new one, I call it the gingy pop fizz because my girlfriend calls me gingy. I'm a redhead. And so it's a tangerine or orange juice, mineral water, and a splash of ginger ale. And it's so good. So I'm, I'm, I'm always making up new mocktails. I like this brand too. From The what brand? Seed Lip and okay. Liars, L-Y-R-E-S from Australia. Fabulous. When it is nice so that you don't just have like a soda water, because that's what I end up going to. Like you, again, you're making a plan. Right. I want to feel inclusive. I want to be included. It doesn't have to have alcohol. And it almost reframes it because you're still participating with a nice, maybe it's in a martini glass or a highball or whatever the case, or a wine glass, that you're still having something to hold in your hand. So, so nobody's going to ask questions and you do feel inclusive of whatever event or you know social event you might be at. So it is again, that planning ahead that I think is so helpful. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite success story from someone that's gone through the 30 day reset? There's so many. Well, aside from this idea of the deeper net, the deepness, right. Of like being with yourself, getting to know yourself. I think my favorite is actually over Christmas. I got a text message from a member and she said, Meg, I didn't drink Christmas Eve or Christmas day. And I was a better hostess. I was present with my kids, with our guests. The food wasn't burnt and I didn't break anything. She said it was the most amazing Christmas. And and the quote is on my website. And to me, that says it all. Like, it doesn't have to be this huge, like, I transformed myself. It's like, hey, I made it through a holiday and I'm going to remember it. And I feel really good about how I showed up to myself and to my family. I love it. So if anybody's interested in finding about your programs, where should they get in touch with you? Sure. You can follow me on Instagram at live more, drink less. In my website, details are on there. It's megkdaily.com. And we'll put all the links in the show notes. Awesome, Meg. Yeah. So for our final question, how do you think giving up alcohol can help you slow down? Oh my goodness. I think that 
it can help you slow down because first off, you time and energy opens up. And when time and energy opens up, you slow down, you have patience. And when you have patience, you start to develop the sense of self-possession and everything. I feel like my life is more in slow motion now and it's beautiful. I mean, you get to take that anxiety piece just out of it. That's awesome. Thanks, Meg. I appreciate it. For anyone listening, if you love what you're hearing, download the show, subscribe, and send it to your friends. Again, we'll put all the links in the show notes. Thank you so much, Meg K. Daly, being sober curious. Sober Curious.